<clears throat> well, we are going to talk about uh, sloth this morning. You already heard that from Miss Kristen right before she made that crack about how long my sermons are. She talked about sloths. And somehow, uh, sloth reminded her of my sermons. I'm not surprised. Not... But before we get there, I want to remind you that uh, this week we we kick off the Christian season of Lent, which will culminate, of course, on Palm Sunday, then ultimately on Easter Sunday. Uh, this, uh, this week, is, this Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday. So at 5.45 in the Fellowship Hall, 5.45 in the evening, we'll have an Ash Wednesday service, and we'll do the same in the, um, in the park from 11.30, Big Spring Park, 11.30 to 1.00. Some of our ministers will be there to impose ashes. You don't have to be a member of our church or Baptist, of course. It's just a, it's a, it's a sign of our penance. It's a sign uh, that uh, we understand that we are, <clears throat> we are sinners by nature and by choice, and that we are completely dependent for eternity on the, the, the shed blood, the redeeming death of our Lord Jesus. Well, let's talk about sloth. And there are... When we say sloth, we almost always think about that, that animal, that, that furry, funny, uh, tree-dwelling animal. I, I did see one, uh, a real live, in-the-wild sloth. We lived in Venezuela. When I was living in Venezuela, and uh, a group of folks had gathered around the tree, and sure enough, it was a, a real live, bona fide sloth who moved slowly in the tree. When we think of sloths, we think of slow. In fact, that's where the word come from, comes from. The word sloth is to the word slow what strength is to the word strong or depth is to the word deep. So, deepness became depth and strength or strongness became strength and slowness, even though we do say slowness, but slowness became sloth. So, it really does mean slow, uh, but when we, when we use the word sloth, we almost always are talking about indolence or laziness. If we talk about someone who is slothful, then we're talking about someone whom we believe to be lazy. Today we continue uh, this series on the seven deadly sins. We've talked about pride, envy, anger, gluttony, greed, lust, and today, sloth. Well, how did sloth make it to the list of the deadliest sins? I mean, it's not good to be lazy, but is that really one of the deadliest sins? Well, the Bible does speak a great deal about sloth. There are lots of verses about laziness. Let me just give you four real quick. Proverbs 26, 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Proverbs 18.9, one who is slack in his work is akin to one who destroys. Ezekiel 10.18, if a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Hmm. By the way, let's be clear that rest is not sloth. Rest is sacred, rest is holy, rest is mandated. But sloth, well, the Bible says more about sloth or about laziness than about some of the things we get all worked up over. Besides, besides that, sloth is, sloth is broader than laziness. 
The more we talk this morning, the may, maybe the more it will become clear that, that sloth really is a deadly sin because it's more than being lazy. The word sloth actually is rooted in a Latin word which means indifferent or apathetic, not caring. Oh, so maybe, maybe, it, maybe that's why it's one of the deadly sins because slowness or laziness is rooted in, in apathy or indifference or not caring. <clears throat> Dorothy Sayers explained it like this, sloth is the sin which cares for nothing, believes in nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, hates nothing, lives for nothing, and ultimately finds its purpose in nothing. Sloth is slowness, it is laziness, but it is also rooted in apathy and indifference. So uh, what's the answer to sloth, to not being slothful? Well, the first one's real easy. Just work hard. Work hard. I I read the guy who was chaplain for the Chicago Bears talking about hearing the Bears in the the locker room, overheard them talking about some of their teammates. And these particular players were, were speaking badly about some of their teammates because they They didn't practice hard, and they would take off plays during the game, and and some of the ones they were talking about were overt Christians, you know, the kind of guys that when they interview them after the game want to give, you know, Jesus the glory for winning. Some of those very guys were the ones who were lazy. So they had lost their influence, they had lost their positive impact on the team, not because they were immoral and not because they were cruel, but because they, were, they didn't work hard. Work hard. If you're a student, from PK to post-grad, work hard. Part of your responsibility as a follower of Jesus, as a student, is to, is to work hard in your studies. I wish somebody had grabbed me by the shoulders back when I was a student and told me what I know now. I, I didn't really work hard in school, in, in, up to high school, to college. When I got to seminary, I fell in love with learning, but I didn't work hard except for the third grade. Peggy Delisle, there's Miss Peggy back there. She was my third grade teacher. I worked hard in the third grade, <laughs> but I peaked. I peaked at the third grade, and it was downhill. It was downhill from there. I would be a better pastor. I'd be a better leader, I'd be a better person if I had worked hard in my studies. If you're a student, then work hard. If you're a volunteer, if you're a volunteer coach, if you volunteer for the PTA, if you volunteer at the hospital or in a classroom, if you volunteer in the concession stand, if you volunteer to teach Sunday school, then work hard. My mom and daddy used to say, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. I bet your mom and daddy said that too. It ain't exactly scripture, but it's true. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Work hard. If you're employed, work hard. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if you're working for God, not people. Whatever you do, from farming to pharmacy, from Bookkeeping to beekeeping, from 
plumbing to propulsion, from the changing of guards at the Buckingham Palace to the changing of pampers at your palace. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work hard as if you were working for, for God himself. It's amazing what can happen to people who work hard, you know. It's amazing how lucky you get when you work hard. Zig Ziglar said that uh, he was with some folks at one of our national monuments one day. He didn't say which. I'm imagining maybe it was the Statue of Liberty. I don't know, somewhere. And um, they were going to go up in the Statue of Liberty. Or or wherever it was. I don't know where it was. That was in my head. They were going to go up, but there was a long line for the elevator. I don't even know if there's an elevator for the Statue of Liberty. Anyway, they're waiting to go on the elevator up in this national monument. Long line. And the park ranger called out to the people in line. There's no wait if you want to take the stairs. Everybody want to go up on the elevator. If you want to... If you want to excel, don't take the elevator. Take the stairs. You will find yourself among an elite group of people who work hard. There are just too many people who are slothful. Whatever you do, Colossians 3.23, do it with all your heart as if you're working for God and not some human boss. Work hard. The second thing, if we want to If we want not to be slothful, change the world. Change the world. Don't be apathetic. Remember, sloth is apathy, indifference, not caring. In the year 2004, a a British government agent was addressing a bunch of NGOs, non-government organizations that work all over in the, in the poorest pl- places on the planet, most of them faith-based, trying to help people who are suffering and struggling in poverty. He talked to them about the, the United Nations MDGs, or Millennium Development Goals. Now, in, in the year 2000, the United Nations, 174 nations dis- pledged together to improve the level of education, improve the level of health care, and to decrease poverty in in poor countries around the world. Increase education, health care, decrease poverty. By the year 2015, pledge together. Millennium Development Goals. This was the year 2004. They had made the decision in 2000. They were supposed to be finished in 2015. This man, this British official said to these representatives of these NGOs, uh, non-government agencies, he said, we're not doing very well. We're not making much headway. We're not really increasing health care and education. We're not reducing poverty. Why? He said, it's not because we don't have the science, technology, and knowledge. The real barrier, he continued, is indifference. The British official specifically mentioned infant mortality, infant deaths. He said, we're not doing very well. The reason? Moral apathy. Apathy is a terrible thing. It is a shameful thing to sit on the sidelines when there are so many terrible needs that need to be met. To 
to sit apathetically, to be indifferent about pain, about hurt, is a shameful thing. This week we shot TV church out at um, Davidson Farms, which is near Ardmore. It's part of Kids to Love. In Alabama, there's 6,000 kids who are teenagers and below who are um, who are in foster care. <clears throat> 6,000. Now, some people see that, that, that number and shrug. Now, some of those people, some of those kids need a temporary home and some need a forever home. And some people look at that figure and shrug. Others look at that figure and say, oh, that's terrible, but then go about our business. But Lee Marshall and others several years ago looked at that figure and said, let's do something. They were not indifferent and they were not apathetic. And what they have done uh, to provide homes for foster kids is just absolutely amazing. Because they chose to care. If you don't want to be slothful, choose to care. It is a shameful thing to sit on the sideline when there are so many hurts and so much pain. Change the world. Before I move on from this matter of of changing the world, about being indifferent, I I want to talk about something I saw on Wednesday. Uh, There's a guy named Kerry Newhoff who's kind of a church expert who blogs and writes and uh, tweets and posts and all kinds of things, helping people understand the world of church. And uh, several of us are on his uh, email distribution list. Every morning, uh, I get an email from Carrie Newhoff. Now, I usually don't read them. Ain't nobody smart enough to have a new idea every morning, so I don't read, I don't read them most of the time. But Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I did because the tagline read, Pastors, You might be wrong about why people are not coming back to church. He said, uh, that's true that, you know, the last couple of years we've gotten all wound around the axle about politics and there are people who think maybe your politics don't match theirs and they're not happy. And he said, you know, the pandemic's been hard and there are people who think you uh, wanted to wear masks too often or didn't open early enough or, op- or closed too soon or, you know, so they don't like the way you handle the pandemic and they're not happy. And he said there are some who are being extra cautious and they're being safe. They, they're just not ready to, to come back. And he said there are people, they're being realistic and they're, they're just not quite ready to come back. But he said it's not politics and it's not the pandemic. Those are not the main reasons people are not coming back to church. The main reason, he said, is indifference. People have kind of gotten used to watching on TV or live stream. Realized, you know, it's a whole lot easier to do that than it is to get ready and get the kids ready. And mom and dad fuss on the way to church, got to look happy when they get out of the car in the parking lot. True story. This morning I said that at 8.15, little girl looked at her mom and said, has, they, have they, has he been talking to y'all? So, you know, it's <laughs> true story. So back in May, back in May, I looked into the camera of our, for our, our TV audience, and I said this. I know there are some who just aren't ready to return to in-person worship. I understand that. 
But when the time is right and the environment is safe, we all need to remember Hebrews 10.25, which reads, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. I continued, we were wired to follow Jesus in community. Jesus established the church, a community, not individual shrines. We are participants, not just spectators. Your church needs you in person. I looked into the camera with some drama, and I said that. And I said to all those folks that are watching on TV and live stream, your church needs you in person. And as soon as the service was over, somebody came to me and said, well, there was a glitch. We weren't on TV today. After I just preached to the choir. But assuming that we're live, let me say it again. If you're being safe, I applaud you. I encourage you. Safety is one thing. Sloth is another. We were intended by God to worship, not to watch. If you are physically unable to come, of course we understand that. If you're being safe and you're being hesitant to come back because of the pandemic, of course we understand that. But whatever church you are a member of, you are made to worship and serve in community, not in your pajamas. Your church needs you. Okay. Sloth is... It's slowness, it's laziness, it's indifference, it's apathy. So, so work hard and do something uh, to change the world. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't be apathetic or indifferent. Choose to care and change the world. Finally, do your best. Do the best you can do. John 3.16 says, God so profoundly loved the world that he gave his only son so that anybody who puts his or her faith and trust and hope in, in Jesus and not in his or her own goodness would not perish, but would have life that never, ever, ever ends. The Christian faith is about a place called heaven. It's about our eternal destination. It is about living with God and not hopelessly separated from God forever. But the Christian life is not just about the hereafter. It's about the here. It's about what happens here. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly or overflowing, overflowing. And life that overflows, look, look which way it's flowing. It, it, it's not flowing this way. It's flowing this way. So that from the depths of our hearts, there's such good that it, that it overflows to others. And we join God in what he's doing in the world. And we make a difference and we help change the world. But you got to do your best. You, you gotta, if you're going to live life in its abundance, you can't just do it halfway. You got to do your best. A moment ago, Diane read that parable Jesus told about the 
guy with the bags of money and he gave two guys a lot of money. They invested it. Came back, good returns. He was so proud of them. The third guy, he buried his bag of gold under a mound of sloth. And the master came back and said, uh-uh, this is, you just hit it? And do you remember the word he used? He called him lazy, slothful. You have gifts, you have resources, you have skills and abilities. You have time, talent, and treasures. Don't hide those things under a mound of sloth, lest the creator of the universe refer to you as lazy. 2 Timothy 2.5. 2 Timothy 2.5. The Bible says, do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as a worker who does not have to be ashamed. Do your best. Coach John McGuire, the late Coach John McGuire, was a coach in, out in Amarillo, Texas. Much loved. There's, a, there's an award. They still give an award, the John McGuire Award. McGuire, Coach McGuire told about a track meet. He had a track team, took to a big high school track meet. And um, he had a star in, in the mile. And everybody was watching this elite athlete. People thought, oh, he could break the state record in the mile. <clears throat> so the fans and the local sports riders all anticipating a great performance from this elite runner. John McGuire, the coach, looked over at the start line, and there they all were, all those runners in their sleek running outfits. But there was one kid in black high-top tennis shoes and cut-off blue jeans. And Coach McGuire thought, what is that kid doing in this race? Gun sounded, they took off. Sure enough, that elite runner distanced himself from the others pretty quickly. Four laps around the track, the star athlete blazed across the finish line. Sure enough, he'd broken the state record. So the, he crossed, of course, right behind him came the other runners. and the, So the sports riders, the local sports riders and the coaches and the Fans gathered on the track to, to celebrate. And then there was a voice over the PA system that said, clear the track, clear the track. Another runner is on the track. And McGuire said he turned and looked, and coming around the turn was that kid in the high-top black tennis shoes and the cut-off blue jeans. He was obviously struggling, breathing hard. Closer he got, they saw the, the scrapes on his hands and his knees from where he obviously had fallen. The kid finally made it to the finish line, but barely. Coach McGuire went to him immediately. Young man, why did you keep running when the race was obviously over? 
And the boy said, My coach, my coach said he didn't have anybody to run the mile. He said he needed me to run. He didn't ask me to win. He just asked me to finish and do my best. And so I finished. And I did my best. And when the race is over, and the last chapter is written, and all is said and done, you and I will appear before the one who wove us together in our mother's wombs and give an account of what we did with the gifts and resources, the skills, the abilities, the time, the talents, and treasures that we had in this life. And he will either say, good job. He will not measure you or me by, how, by, by, what, by somebody else. He will simply measure us by whether or not we did our very best. And if we did, he will say, well done. You are a good and faithful servant. Or will he perhaps say, you were kind of slothful. 2 Timothy 2.25, do your best so that one day you can present yourself to God as a worker who does not have to be ashamed. Your best. God demands nothing more. But he sure demands nothing less than our best.